Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Outlaws of Horror. Today, the Outlaws and I are going to be talking about a film very, very close to our hearts. Before we tell you what that film is, let's introduce everybody. So, first of all, um, I can see Scott there rocking the How's it going, guys? Yeah, the new haircut. I lost a bet. How's it going, guys? I lost Scott here. Got to see you. Yeah, and obviously our resident uh, researcher, Colin Corcoran. How are you doing, not too bad, thank you, Alan. Nice to see you. Nice to uh, join this chat this evening. It's going to be a good one. Yep, so our chat today is, like I said, is about a film that we absolutely love. Um, it's one of the films, actually, that brought us all together, really, when we sort of attended Weekend of the Dead, wasn't it? You know, it's one of those sort of movies that has just, well, we just, we're all linked to it, really. We've got a massive love of it. Um, it is, of course, Day of the Dead, 1985. We're not talking about any of the remakes. Um, that's probably another podcast for uh, another day. Oh, a podcast that will never be made. <laughs> yeah. uh, but obviously, we're talking about oh. the original, you know, in my opinion, you know, probably, you know, the best zombie movie probably made. Might be, you know, a little bit, you know, diversive, you know, I mean, but obviously that's what we're going to talk about today, fellas. Yeah. You know, so that's so I'm going to start you off with a question then, right? Is Day of the Dead the best zombie film ever made? Yes and no. That's a I'll, leave you to, I'll leave you to carry on That's with that. Yeah. Oh, right. It's, this is difficult to um, talk about because we're, we're going to stay with the Romero universe here. We're not going to go into like the, Ful- the Fulci and all kind of stuff. We'll just stay with Romero. Yes, it's the best zombie film, but no, it's not at the same time. And the reason why I'm saying that is because Dawn of the Dead is my love for the zombie genre. It's just that's the film for me. However, I choose to watch Dawn, uh, Day of the Dead, sorry, over Dawn. And I don't know why I do that. I prefer Dawn, but I, I prefer Day of the Dead. It's, it's weird. It's a Romero zombie film. I love them all. I think that's the question, the answer to that question. I just love them all. I don't have a preferred. I'd like to say Dawn, but I know I end up going Day. But then I end up thinking, fuck it, to the pair of them and go to night. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I, yeah, it's night, down day. Uh, what about yourself, then, Colin? How do you feel on it? It's like uh, I can understand uh, Scott's predicament because it's a difficult question. I mean, you're looking, you know, looking at the caliber of the movies, uh, even if you just stick to the Romero universe, it's difficult enough. But if you stick to the what a lot of people refer to as the original trilogy, which they ended, then it's even more difficult. I suppose I come at it from a different reason and it and it does make it the best one but maybe it doesn't make it the best one for the right reason so it's a film that introduced me to it all you know it's 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 the film that introduced me to the whole Romero universe probably zombies going back then because there there would only have probably been Romero stuff around I can't think of anything I mean there was probably some of the night that uh, the uh, Return of the Living Dead films but I hadn't seen them so you know was, there was very little around uh and that's what got me into it. So it always does hold a special place for me. Is it the best one? That's going to be difficult. That's going to be difficult. Uh, I recently, because uh, I was doing a, a little bit of research, as I do, into these topics, and I, and, I, and I did come across a lengthy review of Dawn, which was obviously very well speaking of the film, as it should be, but it did kind of say it ended a bit slapstick. Uh, and I think that's probably quite warranted. You know, I mean, you're talking about 
pies in the face and the bikers running rampage through them all and all just getting a bit chaotic and arms getting ripped off because the guy wants to get his blood pressure and all other kinds of weirdness you know and and, and that's always been a reason why I've shaved a little bit of a point off of Dawn it's always why it's ended around about 9.10 or you know nine and a half out of ten uh and of course day there's none of that day just it literally from the minute you watch it you know they're screwed they're screwed all the way throughout you know, most of the cast end up dead and torn torn to pieces. Uh, and that, to me, is more of a zombie film. That's how it should be, more so. Yes, one or two escape at the end, but they're not necessarily in a good place either. Uh, and throughout the whole time, everything is, you know, uh, bad and violent and in trouble and anything else. So, yeah, for me, probably going to get absolutely chastised for this, but Dawn is, <laughs> Day is probably... The, yeah, the best by a very, very tiny margin. And I didn't even mention Night, which is probably in itself bad enough. But yeah, because that at least does follow the same trajectory of dawn, uh, of day, probably even a bit more because everyone does literally die in that film. You know, there's there's no survivors at the end. And, and that's even more so probably the right direction. But yeah, so yeah, for me, it probably does edge it ever so slightly as being the best if we stick to the core Romero trilogy. Well, it does anyway, because if you start going out of that trilogy, then it's still the best, but yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, just to extend what I was saying, and just so I kind of echo slightly what you said, <clears throat> Dawn has a really good story. It kind of fails it a little bit towards the end with the pie and all that kind of crap, but then it kind of brings it back to the sort of like more depressing state that there is in with the with the last two, where Fran and <clears throat> Peter sort of like get into the... Um, helicopter and they go we could be getting over the hill over there and die and whatever blah, blah, blah. so yeah it was quite a depressing end but with Day of the Dead that was a brutal ending that yeah. there was just blood everywhere zombies just chomping on everything and wow what an ending um, again Day of the Dead had a fantastic ending a fantastic middle and a fantastic opening now we previously just briefed uh, talked about the opening on a previous podcast where it could have been arguably one of the best openers in horror because it's just proper in your face. There you go, yeah. helicopter lands, zombies. It was brilliant. No, I miss don't, it now. don't you fellas think you know? I mean, considering it was it was eighty five as well when this was this was made. You know, even for that, I mean, just the opening visuals of just that's the city just being completely run down. I mean, even today, I think it, it, it kind of still stands up, doesn't it? It's still oh, yeah. it's really terrifying to look at, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you've got, yeah. you got to put yourself in that position. Just imagine you go to bed tonight and you wake up in the morning, you go on, there's shit everywhere. There's cars on its side and you say, what the hell's going on? And then you look down the street and literally a small town's worth of zombies are walking towards you. You've got to think, what the, what the hell do I do? What's <laughs> going on? Well, yeah, so yeah, it is a very terrifying opening. All right, so talking about, let's, let's go to um, and, and one thing that I kind of um, look at when I'm watching these films in particular. So if you start at the beginning with Night of the Living Dead, 1968, um, it's often referred to that this was a, a, a take on consumerism that George Romero was commenting on. Uh, you move to Dawn, and I mean, even George said himself that he kind of saw this more of a as a comic book type movie, that's why he wanted the blue face and the bright blood and all that kind of stuff. And then you come, you come today and suddenly it's such a big shift. It's really, like I said, it's really dark. It's violent. 
they, you know, the characters are, are, are grittier, you know, there's more malevolence to them. You know, I mean, what are you guys' feelings on that? I mean, you know, do you think that that was, you know, a, a really positive move to move away from the comic stuff? Or do you think that maybe Dawn should have been done in the same sort of style? I don't think the, I think what they did went well into the very, very right direction. Because again, Dawn of the Dead was the 70s. I think, like we spoke about with Laura the other day, each film was set in its time. You know what I mean? And, you know, 68 was a very black and white era. You know, so it was black and white and it looked creepy. It did its job. Dawn of the Dead was 70s. You know what I mean? Blue, bright thing with the couple thing, like you said. It was very, very 70s. Now, the 80s have come. Now, at this point now, mid-80s, we've had uh, a lot of slasher films, a lot of dark, gritty, Friday 13th, you know, other such horror films like Return of the Living Dead. We've already got all these. It's setting standards for certain genres, beyond uh, reanimator and stuff like that, all setting new standards. Night of the Creeps, again, setting new standards. So the 80s was, a, I think, a, a, a setting standard sort of like decade for horror. So yes, I think even though Donald, Day of the Dead came out just before some of these films, but some, a lot of them came out after them as well, I think that George did the right idea by saying to Tom Savini, saying this one needs to be a masterpiece when it comes to gore, effects, and like that. So go for it. And Tom, again, as he does in every single project that he works on, hits the ball out of the park. You know what I mean? So, yes, I hope that answers the question as to, yes, I think they went in the right direction with the grittier, darker, gorier, more bloody, more puss, I guess, Mm -hmm. zombies. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Colin? I do. And I think there's also an added uh, thing that Dave brings. I kind of alluded to it before, but with Night of the Living Dead, at the end, it's it's almost you could almost think they've kind of got a handle on it. You know, they're starting to round up zombies, they're starting to get together in kind of posses to deal with the zombies and all the ghouls, and, and it all seems like it's kind of you know dealt with. Uh, Dawn is at the start, so of course it could go anyway. You know, how it ends up for them is something you could probably interpret. And with the biker game being able to maraud through the state as they do, things probably aren't too bad. You know. Whereas, whereas Day, I think that is slightly more realistic and better for me because, you know, they're screwed. You can tell they're screwed. There's been a, it's been a long time since the breakout of whatever happened to kickstart it all. Uh, and there's going to be n- no happy ending, no solving the issues. You know, they're, they're literally just got to deal with it as best they can. Uh, and I think that's a good, a good thing of the 80s. They're a good sort of symbol of the 80s as well because we were... You know, starting to have issues with the Falklands War and in this country, and particularly in the, in the states, with things going on. So there was a kind of bit of symbolism there as well, I think, uh, which which shows. So it's, there's, it's 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 quite deep in some respects, you know, and that helps it as well. I think that's that's also pretty good. And yeah, uh, Tom Savini knocked it out of the park with the uh, with the effects and everything else. They they do. I mean, obviously with the eighties, the technologies come along a bit, and obviously they've developed their skills a bit more. But they really do do set apart from the other films in terms of that stuff as well. Really good, really, really good. Uh, I mean, it was, I was actually going to ask you this question later on, but it seems to make sense to ask it now. I mean, 
you know, Tom Savini, the godfather of gore. I mean, what do you think to this? I mean, do you think this is his best, his best work in the film? Is this his, his, is this his, his peak? Do you think, or, you know, do you think there's the other films that he's done have maybe have eclipsed that or not? You know, yeah. how, how do you feel on it? With that, I think visually, I think Day of the Dead could probably be his masterpiece. I think Day of the Dead could be the, the thing that really set again standards for other zombie films. I think Tom Savini should get crowned quite proudly of that and go, yeah, I did that. But I believe I've seen interviews with Tom Savini and he says that his best work is his fluffy from Creepshow. Mm, yeah, 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 I could yeah. see that. Yeah, I could buy and, into that. And I could buy into that as well. So <clears throat> completely going slightly off topic to the Day of the Dead thing, I'm going to probably have to say no because I'm going to have to agree with Tom Savini on that. He says that Fluffy is his best work, so I'm going to say Fluffy is his best work. But I would say visually, as a zombie fan, it certainly is Day of the Dead would be his best mm-hmm. performance. Yep. Could you say could you call it a performance? You could, couldn't you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think you can. Yeah. Fair, fair thing to say. Yeah, fair yeah, thing. Yeah. So yeah, so, I, I think he did. Yeah. Yeah, Colin, you got anything to add to that? Or? Not really. No, I think you know. I mean, if if Tom Savini himself has you know cited Fluffy and creep show then who are we to to suggest otherwise but but the work in day of the dead has definitely got to be up there it's got to be up there with some of his best yeah uh because it's so wide reaching in terms of the the aspects it covers i mean everything from you know miguel getting the arm cut off to joe plato rose getting getting torn in half i mean it's just amazing stuff in there and also, don't forget about the zombies that are on the uh, sort of like the stirs, the the stirrups, the the the, the beds are many turn walls mm. over and all the yeah, guts come out. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, wow, that was yeah. awesome. That That's I mean, good even stuff, yeah. even now watching, thinking about it, it's like oh, I've watched it and I read it this week. I think I'm watching it again later because <laughs> it's just stuff like that that makes me want to watch it. Oh, and that brings me to a question. I'm going to ask a question now. Uh-oh. Rewatchability. You know what I mean? Out of all the Romero films, the rewatchability on all of them are there. And uh, I don't know this because we're like super fans or whatever, but Day of the Dead, I I watched that with Dave Berman, um, you know, from Weekend of the Dead. After after Weekend of the Dead this year, uh, I went to Dave's house literally on the day we, we left. And then I went two or three days later just to see him. And we watched Day of the Dead both times. Nice. So at the end, you know, I, I don't know if it's because we did like a Day of the Dead theme sort of show this year, and unfortunately, it's the only show this year that's going to be doing a Day of the Dead sort of like reunion on its thirty fifth year, which is pretty proud to announce that. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Day of the Dead, you can watch it once a day, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think it'll ever get boring. Do you know what I find about Day of the Dead? Like you say, rewatchability is like whenever I rewatch it. I always spy somewhere in the background a different zombie that I'd never noticed before. So, like, for example, in the opening scene, um, when you have that really wonderful shot of the high camera looking down the street and you see the zombies kind of walking, I actually, the other day, noticed there's a zombie on crutches. Yes. Oh, I, yeah, I hadn't yeah, seen yeah, that. Yeah. I've just yeah. never seen that before. Yeah. It's, it's just little things like that that pick up, like, say, for rewatchability and stuff like that. All right, fellas, uh, let's move on. So let's talk about the film itself then. Um, now... I think that I'll, I'll see if you guys agree with me on this one, but I think that Day of the Dead kind of falls into this category that's um, 
it's, 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 it's something really rare that actually happens. And I'd only maybe put Jaws in this in American Wealth in London, is that, you know, it literally just has the right cast, the right crew, the right timing, you know, the right story. Like you said, you know, how do you guys feel? I mean, it's just like, it's just like everything for Day of the Dead just kind of fell on its feet. I mean, I know that it was really grueling um, on the actors and the crew and stuff. I mean, because we've, we've had the stories only about how hard it was to film in the mines and stuff. Yeah. But I think when you look back on it, it really is just one of those films where just everything was gold almost. I mean, mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you fellas think? Oh, God, then I'll let you start with this Oh, one. sorry, OK. Uh, to be honest, I, I can't... I certainly struggle to disagree with that. I can only really further justify it. And, and I think Romero was so lucky in one respect, because, uh, of course, the majority of that cast came out of, you know, local Pittsburgh theatre and drama schools. But, you know, that wasn't necessarily the only reason why they were cast. You know, they're, they're, they're all great. You really struggle to pick out a weak performance in that movie. I mean, you just, you you know, you just can't. And that and that stretches everything from Laurie as a Sarah, you know, as a strong female lead, back when strong female leads weren't necessarily something there was a lot going on of, you know, and she really did well there, through to uh, even, you know, Mark Tierno's Beef Treats and Howard Sherman's Bub. I mean, to, you know, those guys as well. Because where there might have been some precedent or some kind of idea as to what uh the other cast members could do with their kind of characters they may have had something to fall back on in terms of a previous performance or there may have been a an iconic performance of some sort of someone else's they could look at those guys but we didn't have anything you know i mean they'd been the previous two films but never had either of them focused specifically on zombies as a character who was going to get some development garner a kind of name and actually be featured in the film uh, so so all the way through the through the cast. I mean, if you just did a name check, John Amplers, Terry Alexander, Giles Conroy, all all really really did really well in their respective roles. Gary Clark. I mean, I'm, I'm going to miss some off because I'm not going to name the whole cast, but I'm not putting anyone above anyone else. They were all just they're the names that just popping into my mind. But everyone was great, and I think it worked out really well. And then going behind the scenes, obviously Romero retains a lot of the same crew from a night where he could and more so dawn because it was that much more recent and that just shows as well because there's you know there's absolutely there's absolute respect for the genre in the making of the film and the guys know what he wants and how to do that and it just it just ends up creating an absolute masterful film that we all love yeah i mean again just to reinforce a little bit what colin was saying on that chemistry <clears throat> now the mm. chemistry between like divisions in the film, like for instance, you've got your civilians, which would have been uh, Jarloth Conroy and uh, Terry Alexander's character. Then you've got uh, the scientists, which is Richard Liberty, John Amplis, and uh, Laurie Cadill's characters. And then you've got the soldiers, which is Joe Plato, you know, um, Gary Clark. Uh, early performances from um, oh god, what's he called now? Greg Nicotero. Greg, Greg Nicotero, Nicotero yeah. and Tasso Stravakis. So, you know, we've got a diverse team here. We've got three little divisions and each one of them have got perfect sort of like balance to bring the um, the emotion to an atmospheric sort of like area. Now, 
I'm going to briefly go on it. Sarah and uh, Rhodes were two of the strongest characters in any Romero film before and after Day of the Dead. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people you could probably say that George peaked at Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think Day of the Dead was his peak because you're never going to get better characters. Okay, yeah, he had um, uh, John Leguizamo. Leguizamo, yeah, and Dennis Hopper. And Dennis Hopper. Both very, very strong characters, but not not anywhere near how strong Captain Rhodes and Sarah were in those films. Laurie Cadillo was so strong. And Joe Palato, you know, bloody hell. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they they took they carried that film, but then you had the extra excellence from Richard Libby. They, he played Frankenstein amazingly, and then Bob. Wow, <laughs> it's just you know what more can you say? I mean, what more can you say? The, the films cast amazingly. The chemistry between them all is absolutely amazing, which we actually touched up a bit about that with uh, John Amplis uh, the other night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know what? It's a great film. It's, it's I won't say it's flawless because it, no film's flawless, but it's it's up there for being almost perfect. Yeah, I mean, just we say with flawless. I mean, it's, for me, it's the attention to detail because the one thing that always makes me uneasy, even when I watch it now, is the the death of the soldier who's having his head pulled off. And as he's having his head pulled off, his voice that box scream. is being stretched, and he screams. Mm. That always makes me that just that little bit, you know, oh, that's just all oh, gives me shivers, you know what I mean? <laughs> because it's it's just the, the attention and the detail that they put into it. Yeah. So, all, all right, guys. Um, so, I think um, you, you've done nice, a nice little segue into this. So, like, characters then. I mean, you guys have both touched upon it. Obviously, Laurie uh, Cadill playing Sarah. Um, really, really strong fem- female lead. Um and to be honest with you, this this was really rare and it, during that period. I mean, because the only person I could think of that was in that role may have been Sigourney Weaver as Ripley in Alien. Um, so, what did you guys think of that? Do you think that it was it was? I mean, if we go back to it, you know, George really did. He liked to throw a couple of curveballs out there. He liked to be, you know, I don't want to say controversial, but obviously back in 1968 when Night Lived Dead, he obviously cast Dwayne as a you know as, as as his lead actor, and obviously you know. Dwayne was black, and that kind of raised a lot of eyebrows. Amongst, but, you know, just just to intervene there, but saying that, that George said that he didn't cast Dwayne because he was black. He cast Dwayne because he was the best, best. actor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So yeah. I don't I didn't mean it like I mean like no, no, no. You know, Obviously, it was like a risk, you know, yeah. or, you know, because of the way that the, the world was. But that know. was the beauty of George. He mm. didn't care if he was black, white, yellow, uh, green, or blue. If you could do the job, he'd cast you. No matter what time of year it was, and that's why George was an absolute beautiful soul. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. So I mean, so with this, you know, Sarah. I mean, obviously, like I said, it hadn't really been done, been done in Hollywood sort of prior to that. And then afterwards, you kind of look at, you know, film, and suddenly after 1985, this, you know, these strong female leads are kind of emerging. I mean, like I said, you know, you look at Ripley from Alien, you look at Aliens, which was released in 86, and suddenly she's a kick-ass. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And me personally, I think you can't take, you know, day that it has to have an effect on that somehow because it hadn't been done before then. No. You know, and suddenly the year afterwards, Sigourney Weaver's coming out and she's beating Space Marines at their own game. 
yeah. you know. So nice I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if this is good thing or bad thing, really. And it's only come to my mind recently. This maybe because of all the stuff that's going on. Uh, but I like to think it's because the casting was so well done. When I've watched that film, it's never really occurred to me that she's a strong female lead. She's just Sarah, and she's there, and she's just kicking ass. She's sorting it out. You know, I've never really thought, oh, look, there's a woman doing that. Well, that's something. I've just thought, because I think, you know, it works so well. You, yeah. you know, you, you, it, it just like slots in like round peg, kind of round hole. That casting, that character just just works, and it's and it just that's why it's never really occurred to me until much more recently when we've been having these sorts of sorts of discussions. I think that goes does go back to back to George's casting. You know, he's, yeah. he's just you know he probably just realised it, it it was a perfect fit, and he probably I, I I don't know I'm speculating here whether he cast Laurie because she was a woman or he cast Laurie because he wanted a woman in that role. I've got no idea. Maybe something we can reach out to the fans to see if they know, but. Uh, I just think it just just works, and that's that's why I've never really looked at it any other way. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, the the thing is, as well, it's all it's not behind the scenes stuff because obviously you can watch special features for that on the DVDs or Blu-rays. But even on the film itself, it has certain bits that you may miss. In turn, and what I mean, we'll get into that. So, this question I'm going to ask: What parts of the film have you seen or watched it a million times and gone, oh, "That's the first time I've noticed that." You know what I mean? Because when I watched Day of the Dead, and I watched it for the first time in 91, that's the first time I watched it. And I've watched it a lot (laughs) since then. (laughs) And I only found something out new about it on the Weekend of the Dead 2018 panel. So I'll I'll come back to that in a moment. But um, what new things in the film did you guys spot? Or what new things do you spot when you watch it? I think for me, and it was, I think it, it, it came about, I mean, I've probably already seen it, but not realised as much. But what, what I really did pay attention to on a recent viewing was after we went to Pittsburgh back in 2019, was the 88 football jersey zombie. Because, mm-hmm. of course, we met, uh, oh, why can't I think of his name? Michael J. Tommaso. Michael Tommaso, because we met Michael Tommaso. So all of a yeah. sudden you're thinking, oh, and then that made me think a lot more about that particular zombie, where before I'd probably just given it a passing glance. Yeah. So I definitely did focus a lot more on the 88 football jersey zombie more after that visit. So a little bit, a bit of trivia for that one. Um, but the one where you see him break through the fence, that was filmed in Florida, and you can clearly see Michael's face, and it's Michael. <laughs> <clears throat> but if you watch where he's in the actual mines, obviously that's not Michael, because that's filmed in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It's actually... Uh, quite a tall lady <laughs> that's playing the <laughs> that's playing the mailbox twenty two yeah. zombies. So it's it's pretty good, and it's very very noticeable now that she's so much. When you see it, you see it. Yeah. But, I mean, Mike's Mike's a top bloke, and obviously we met him, and he was just giving you loads of he was autographing everything, and just giving it to you. He's oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Genuine top bloke, and uh, I actually I, I kind of can't wait to see him again. But yeah, he 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 was brilliant. But when you see that, it's it's very noticeable, and it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> you get the attention to detail on the uh, voice box being ripped apart, but not when it comes to putting it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, mine uh, was the Howard Sherman bub thing when he's putting the um, headphones on, and when Richard Liberty turns it off, 
if you listen to what Bub says, he says, I'm not finished. Really? He says, oh, it, right. he says it in a zombie sort of like, I'm not finished sort of thing. And I was like, I, I was literally, how, how old was I? Would I have been in 2018? I'd have been 36. I was that old when I found out that he did that. And the only reason why I found out that he did that is because I think it was actually, it was Martin Kumsky or Kumsky. I, I, yeah. I do apologise if I did his name. Which did that? <laughs> he asked Howard Sherman, do you say something? Because I believe he watches it religiously on a Friday night every week and has done since it's come out. I think he may have watched it multiple thousands of times, which is an extreme respect to him. Mm, he but, has um, said that, yeah. Yeah, But he asked uh, Howard Sherman, the guy who played Bob, do you say something during that scene? And he confirmed it that he does say, I'm not finished. So now every time I watch it and that bit comes up, I cannot, I, I always see it. It's just like, it's as clear as day as well. <laughs> How come I've never seen that? <laughs> so yes, yeah, so if you are watching the, uh, if you are watching this and you're up to this fine, you've lasted this long, please go watch Day of the Dead. Watch that little bit and uh, comment down in the comments down below and see what, see if I was right. But Howard Sherman will agree or disagree with you. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> All right, then, guys, I want to ask you another question about, but probably, I mean, you, I've known you guys for a while now, and you know that the, the next fellow we're going to talk about is my favourite movie villain of the eighties. Captain Rhodes, absolutely spot on casting. Um, I know that there's obviously there were stories that you know when Joe Pilato started uh, started on the project, he was kind of like overacting the part. And then um, recently, I saw an interview with George Romero when like George was like, yeah, he was overacting, but it just worked so well for what we were doing. So yeah, fellas, you, you know, what's your thoughts on this performance? Can we go, Scott? Yeah, well, first and foremost. Rest in peace, Mr. Palazzo. <clears throat> Secondly, did he overreact overact it? Hell yeah, he overacted it. Hell yes, <laughs> he overacted it. But again, like you said, George was like, yeah, of course he's overreact overacting, but I didn't tell him to stop because it worked. Oh. It worked. Mm -hmm. So sometimes being a loud, obnoxious, sexist, possibly racist um, <laughs> character... <laughs> Well, oh, there's, there's no. He's definitely racist. I mean, he yeah. he, he refers to uh, Terry Terry Alexander's character in a derogatory, yeah. racist term. So he's definitely all of those, isn't he? And yeah. you're right. But he's he, hammering it up, but he's hammering it up so well. But he plays he plays a bastard correctly. Yes. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? He's a bastard. But it's but, perfect. Do you not know find like I mean, he's also like a, a almost like a closet comedian because some of the lines that he's got in that are absolutely fantastic, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah, the, it's, uh, the the monkey farm lines yeah, are hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're all hilarious, and this, uh, but this is, I'm sure he had bipolar. It's like he's he's there, he's there, he's kind of a, a normal conversation. And there's like steal, shoot that woman. It's just like, mm. whoa, yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? Someone get the meds. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, and of course, you know he's he's that character is responsible for one of the biggest uh, Palmer language guys. Is probably going to get beat down the bloopers, but the biggest what the fuck moment when you know he's holding the gun to John Amplis's head, you know oh, Fisher's man. head, you know, and he's threatening um, still. Yeah, he's threatening to to get out. You know, he wants the helicopter ride. They say no, and he just he just shoots him. You know, and you know just calling the bluff, and it goes wrong. And I even remember watching that as a kid, yeah. just thinking, oh my god, you know that really even as a kid that struck me. Yeah. Because I just was not expecting it. Yeah, that's it. Just to escalate a little bit. 
<clears throat> I, I still the... think that's the harshest. I mean, we I know we talked about this briefly with John the other week, but that to me, we've obviously we've mentioned about heads getting torn off and people getting torn in half, but that, I think that death is a it's so undeserving, and yeah. by the end of the film, the guys getting ripped apart kind of deserve getting ripped yeah. apart a bit, uh-huh. you know. Maybe not so steel and uh, Rickles, because they do kind of end up becoming not too bad by the end. But yeah, they were in the orders, though, weren't they? They were, yeah. yeah they but, were his, loyal. but his death is just, you know, no one's expecting it. I mean, the only seven graces, it was instant, so at least there's that to it. Yeah. But otherwise, it was just the coldest, harshest death of the whole film for me. I think the funniest part of that film, though, is Rickles when he dies. It's brilliant. It's just the fact that he's running down the um, thing. He's laughing his ass off. He knows he's lost yeah. it now. He's lost yeah. it. He's shooting zombies. And he ends up shooting Ralph Langer's zombie, the one that when he's eating Dr. Freddy's eating John. Yeah. <laughs> and it's to me now, because I can, every time I watch it, I see that. I just laugh my ass off because he's laughing, firing guns everywhere. And then he just gets fucking eaten. It's brilliant. Yeah. Rickles. Did, hang on, didn't Rickles, the guy, I can't remember his name, but didn't he oh, die? Yeah. yeah, he died, didn't he, shortly yeah. after? Like, well, Macchio, yeah, it was a, I, I heard a couple of store, versions of this at various panels, and the one I seem to have locked down is that it was a car accident. He was yeah. driving either to or from LA, and he'd either he was about to or he had just produced a play, because he was a playwright, apparently, yeah. from what I gather. And uh, real big talent, like all the guys in them films. You know, they're all very talented uh, for more than acting. And uh, yeah, it was a car accident that uh, took him it's, away from us. Really it sad. Was, really it sad. wasn't that long either, was it? It was only within maybe a couple it, of years, was, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't. I don't know when it, exactly, but it wasn't long after the film. No, I believe it wasn't that long, which again is a real shame, really. Real, real shame. I think he would have done well at conventions now because just people would have asked him questions saying, why mm. would you laughing your ass off knowing that you were going to die? Because yeah. that's hilarious. It kind of, it brings that sort of like little calm before the storm because you see all the all the zombies knocking about, but he's laughing. It kind of makes you feel a bit better about well, what's going on. <laughs> and, that, and, and this has really surprised me now. I'm going to kind of mention, probably I might not, but so he passed away in 1991. Clearly, he's not that long after the production of the film. Yeah. And he was only 32. So I think he was older than that when the film was made. I would have yeah. thought he was older than that because his, his acting ability is clearly, you know, so advanced. You need yeah. to put him as a bit older. And so a real sad loss there, really, to the Romero yeah, universe. Yeah, too young, too. I, well, if anything is too young, maybe not really old, right? But yeah, it's 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 crazy because um, I mean Miguel. Let's go down to Anton DeLeo's character a little bit because obviously we can't <clears throat> not talk about Daughter Day of the Dead without talking about Anton because let's be fair, mm. he was the one who started the film off. He's shouting hello. He's the first person you see in really space. So and he finishes it to some extent as well. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because yeah. Anton, what would you say? Would you say he was crippling with stress or would you say he was a coward? Ooh, it's a good question. I'm going to go down the stress route uh, and I'm going to make some assumptions. I mean, obviously he's, although having said that, given the circumstances, maybe it was easier than what you might think. But obviously he's in the army and he's managed to progress somewhat in the army because he's established within their, within their ranks. Uh, but maybe Captain Rhodes, even when Major Cooper was still alive, because, you know, he obviously met a shady ending. There's no doubt about that. Although the film doesn't, go down that road, I think we can all assume that. 
Uh, maybe just Captain Rose just started to bully him, bully him, bully him, bully him, you know, and, and he's just finally, finally cracked. Because his relationship with Sarah was obviously a point that Rhodes would use. You know, he uses it against Sarah often enough. So you can imagine he's probably used it against Miguel, you know, as a bullying point, as a stick to beat him with. So uh, I would say the guy is just cracked in the end. You know, even before we see him crack, he's on the route, you know, he's he's, yeah. a, he's on that road. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, to be fair, because I think coward is probably the wrong assumption to sort of like say when it comes to that question, because to be fair, he did, he went <clears throat> face-to-face with all the zombies, and he was clearly scared of them, but let's be honest, anybody, no matter how you, who you are, you'd be scared of zombies if there's a lot of them coming at you. Yeah. He, he went and let them through that gate, he led them to the thing, and he let, he let them maul them to pieces. I won't say that was a cowardly move. I think that was just basically saying, Do you know what? I've been bullied. Have you pushed me past the point now? Bleep. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think anyone who was pushed to his level of stress, I think they would have done that. I think anybody would have done that. I agree. I mean, I've got, I can't remember the name of the, the illness, which is eluding me at the moment, but I always considered that he kind of suffered from like what the, the soldiers suffered for in the war in the first and second world war you know, where that's yeah yeah kind of you know where he's yeah. just just gone absolutely crazy and he just can't handle it you know um but no i mean again you know it's, it's another another solid character i mean to be honest with you what i think is is good about <laughs> about this is his little relationship especially with sarah it's almost like real world it's kind of like you know you you would kind of imagine that, and I think actually Laurie um, commented on this when we were chatting with her the other day that it was like it wasn't a love relationship, it was purely physical. Companionship. <laughs> Companionship, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, and I, I think again, you know, just, you know, that, that's the brilliance of, of George Romero, you know. He's, he's yeah. introducing all these little things that people don't necessarily think about when they're watching these films, you yeah. know. It's like everyone had their purpose as well. Everyone yeah. had a purpose. And then once your purpose kind of like run out, that was done. I mean, look look at Frankenstein. I mean, actually, let's just let's let's stop it there. Let's 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 continue with this next bit. When Frankenstein dies, mm-hmm. right, and he gets shot to shit. But did he deserve it? Yes and no. If you're in a military man, if you're a military man, and someone shoots someone in your platoon squad or whatever, you are gonna do something about it. You're not going to let it fly. You're going to do something about it. So I think Captain Rhodes acts completely on <clears throat> military instinct when he did that. But what did did um, Frankenstein do the wrong thing about what he did to Major Cooper? You know what I mean? Well, I'm going to disagree there slightly, although I've not got much military experience. Uh, I, I don't think Rhodes... Frankenstein deserved it, but I think he should have been not as naive as to know there wasn't going to be repercussions. Yeah. Because, I mean, as far as I can you know, gather, he, he hasn't killed any of Rhodes' men, but yeah, he is topping him up for experiments, which is yeah. not going to go down well. And he should have known that was not going to go down well, and he should have been ready for them circumstances, because yeah. Rhodes, you know, by any measure, is going to go to the extreme. Uh but yeah, that's just my that's just my that's no, that, my take. That, but yeah, yeah, that, that, I mean that's a fair fair comment. To be fair, I mean I think I may may read it a little wrong, but yeah, it's a fair comment. But again, that bit where the 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 memory that Howard Sherman showed as a zombie when he found 
Frankenstein dead. For a zombie or a dead person to show that sort of emotion, that was a that's a powerful. And I think the music score that John Harrison yeah, did over yes, that as yes. well really adds to that effect of emotion. And I thought that was fantastic. That mm-hmm. probably one of the top five scenes in the whole film, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, have to agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, I've I've always kind of thought of that. You know, Doctor Frankenstein himself. I, I think he was doing the wrong thing for the right reason. If that makes sense. Mm, yeah. You know, he, I don't think he should have been doing what he was doing, but obviously he was doing it to try and help and to try and find a way of, you know, whether it was a cure or I think actually in this case, it was more, he almost kind of got the impression that he was trying to train Bub, make him domesticated so that he could then release him out into the wild, so to speak, to try and teach the rest, if that makes sense. Yeah, could have been, you know. could have been, yeah, could have been. But um, yeah, you know, he's just, he's just, just a complex character. I think, you know, obviously he knew what he was doing was wrong. And, you know, in those sort of situations, I know we kind of all view Captain Rhodes as the, the main villain, which obviously he is. But, you know, it's, it's you just got to take that into consideration. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, oh, you do, yeah. You know. All right. All right, I'll tell you what, what we'll start doing now is we'll start slowing down now, coming towards, like, uh, the, the end now. So I'm going to list or ask a question. The ending, right? And I know I'm probably going to... <laughs> literally chew my own feet now about what I said because even though before I said that it had the best ending but what I mean by that is that's why I see Day of the Dead having two endings I see the ending where all the zombies are eating all the all the people and there's blood everywhere and that's great and if the credits went up then perfect ending but then there's also the ending where they which we see where they actually go away and they go down that bit where they run into the helicopter and Laurie Cadill's character says she opens the door and then the zombie jumps mm. out. I'd, I'd love to know what you guys think about that bit because to me, it kind of it kind of puts a pin in the end of what's just happened. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think there is definitely. I mean, when I first watched it, watched it, I kind of got the the impression it was a dream because then suddenly she's on the beach, you know, and and is it Jarloff's fishing and Terry's by the helicopter, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know me. I'm a storyteller. I, I kind of, I would like something a little bit more concrete, you know, for, to go through what we've gone through, you know, and you know, like you kind of touched on before with with George, is that you know, not not one of his films are happy endings, you know. And I, I agree with you. I could have been happy with how it ended in that. So yeah, for me, I mean, it was just, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things that I think we're ever going to know. You know, Do you think it's one of them endings that only George would have known? I think so. You know, I think no. You know, obviously, I've never, never met the met the, the gent, and you know, knowing him from his work, it probably was just something for himself. Yeah. You know, he he kind of liked that kind of you know mystery, that mystique about you know certain things. So, I think I think what we need to do is we need to ask the question again. Like, if you are watching it up to this point, if you are, I've referred to yourself as the biggest Day of the Dead fan. Please tell us what you think the ending is, yeah, because I would I would love to know that. I really mm-hmm. would love to know what other people's thoughts are on that ending of Day of the Dead. Yeah. No, I mean I'm completely with Alan, and we haven't spoke about this before. I don't think, but I'm I've, I always assumed dream. I always assumed dream, and obviously when they're and but where it's where the dream starts is is mm-hmm. interesting because you know they climb up the silo. That's all pretty much real, you know, and they're escaping. And they've run into the helicopter, you know, that's got to have happened. So that's real. 
I mean, like you say, she opens the door, there's a zombie right there, and boom, she wakes up on the beach. Yeah. It's, that's a difficult one. And, and I've always assumed kind of dream, but when you start to analyse that, even that's not is that straightforward. So, yeah, I don't know. I think like, it, yeah. it almost feels like a bit of a cop-out, though, if it was a dream, because it's like with Walking Dead, for instance, just briefly, just got this. they're saying now that if they're going to end it, they're going to end it where Andrew Lincoln's character wakes up from the hospital and everything's fine, and the whole thing was a dream. And if that's the case, then yeah, yeah, shame on you for doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, but, that can't happen. That can't yeah, maybe maybe, happen. maybe we should do a Walking Dead podcast, actually, to be fair. Yeah. But, but I mean, just going back to you know to, to your question, I mean, from a narrative point of view, you could say perhaps the whole thing is a dream because we actually, you know, Sarah and Miguel are actually the first characters, along mm-hmm. with Terry and, and Jar, that we see. So it, the whole thing could be, mm, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible, I guess, with it. Because, like I said, Dawn of the Dead. I mean, none of the uh, none of the films are kind of canon to sequel. However, Land of the Dead. I think I've read in a. I think I heard in an interview with Tom Savini that Land of the Dead set about fifteen months after Dawn of the Dead, because Tom Savini's machete, now the guy he played in, in Dawn, mm, he, he appears, doesn't he? He yeah. appears in it. Yeah. So that's yeah. really effectively the only reoccurring character in a George Romero sort of like film. However, from that, but that soldier who's in Survival and uh, Diary. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, but, but he was in he was in um, land as well, though. I think he, he, he is in land. Yeah, he does pop up. Well. Yeah, but I, th- I think although you're right, I mean, technically they are reoccurring. You're right, but they all intertwine in their yeah, timeline somehow. as well. They're all happening, kind of overlapping with each other. Yeah. But and where that, does he's day? Thread. But where does day sit? So Daniel Krauss done a lot of work on this in his research yeah. for the Living Dead book, and if I had it to hand, I'd get it. If it's gone back on the bookshelves yeah. but he did do a uh what's what i'm looking for a kind of timeline of all the films yeah uh, uh I, I won't try and do it justice by trying to remember it we'll we'll stick it below this video maybe because it's only going to be literally six lines of the films in their sequential order uh but it, but land is something only like yeah sort of like uh 15 or so months after yeah after Afterwards, yeah, I think day they tried to put years ahead. Year, you know, it's it's been around a few years, and you know they pretty much know that they're not going to get back to normal, but they've got to try and find a way to deal yeah. with it. Yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll get that timeline below the video, and then people can can have a little comment on that as well, and, and see what they think. And if you read the book, uh, small spoiler alert: the book does project before and after all the films so that kind of encompasses the whole timeline so you, that's why he did the study that he did so he could yeah. understand where they might slot in oh well, that's, the, that's cool i was gonna say just a quick question colin because obviously you and i would chat with daniel um is that of interest do i recall he actually said that survival i think was the first the first in the in the in the films survival of the living dead was the first one uh, was, was it was it night and then survival? I think night, night is still first. I think night is still first. But you're right. Survival could could be further down the timeline than what you think. Yeah, in terms of chronology, it could be. Yeah. I, I I I will dig it out and we'll get it in the comments below this video so people can can tell us what they think. Yeah, we we'll, should almost we'll, do like a, a Marvel guide, you know, because they do Marvel. Is it exactly? Like which yeah, do, yeah. We, we should do that. Yeah. yeah, and that does exist because, like I say, he's. 
he's put that together and I would consider him a fairly safe authority given the access he's had to the archive and, and everything else. Alright, so yeah, so I'll tell you what then, we'll end it on this one. So, uh, do you want to end it out, Alan? Yep, um, I want to say uh, thanks fellas, it's been a pleasure as always, great chat, um, obviously speaking about one of our favourite films. Um, yeah, to everyone that's watching, listening, thanks for your time, uh, don't forget to do all the good stuff like like subscribe, share, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and just hope you enjoyed the chat with us, and we'll look forward to keeping you company next time. So, from Scott, Colin and myself, it's Outlaws Horror, saying see you next time. <laughs>